Hello and welcome to the EMG Gold podcast. I'm Mark Koskila and once again I am pleased to be bringing you another excellent episode of the show. Our guest for today is Catherine Owen, Head of Major Markets at Bristol Myers Squibb. I caught up with Catherine on a range of topics including data collection and its storage across Europe, the vision of the European Commission on future data guidelines and the evolution of the pharmaceutical industry as a whole. It's a great episode so I do hope you enjoy it. Hello and welcome to the EMG Gold podcast. My name is Mark Koskila. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by Catherine Owen, Head of Major Markets at Bristol Myers Squibb. How are you doing today, Catherine? I'm doing great, thank you. Thanks for having me. No, great to have you on. Now, you joined Bristol Myers Squibb in 2019 in the midst of the merger between BMS and Celgene. You oversee operations in 19 key global markets and cover BMS's portfolio of prescription medicines in haematology, oncology, immunology and cardiovascular. You have over 20 years worth of leadership experience, having worked for other companies such as AstraZeneca and Janssen. Catherine also has a degree in pharmacy from the University of Manchester, along with a postgraduate degree in marketing from the University of London. I believe you're enthusiastic about developing people both professionally and personally, and in 2018 received the Healthcare Businesswomen's Association's Luminary Award. You also recently spoke at the Reuters uh, Events Pharma 2021 event, and we're incredibly excited to have you on the podcast today to discuss the use of data for improving patient outcomes. Now, as regular listeners will know, we uh, we like to start the podcast by finding out a little bit about our guest journey into the industry. So to kick us off, Catherine, could you tell us a little bit about what motivated you to work within pharmaceuticals? Yeah, sure. Um, so I'm a pharmacist by training, as you've just announced, and I was at the University of Manchester for my undergraduate degree and left um, there with uh, an opportunity in AstraZeneca's management acceleration scheme on their Macclesfield production plant. And I was really excited to get into the industry. And I spent about two or three years on that production plant, really trying to understand how we made medicines, the whole manufacturing process. Um, And I I loved it, but I was looking at all the people who looked rather different to me, dressed in their smart suits and their company cars and talking to patients and doctors about the medicines that I was making. And I realized that was a whole side of the industry that I didn't really know about when I was at pharmacy school. And that was the commercial side of the business. And so I really became very interested in what they were doing. And when I realized that they were actually articulating the value of the drug to our customers, to our patients, and really um, helping them understand why they might want to use it for certain patients and the value that that drug would bring in those different therapy areas, I quickly decided that I wanted to get into the commercial side. And so, as you say, I did my um, postgraduate degree in marketing at night school, actually, in the University of London, while I joined Janssen as a rep. And it was in the mid-90s, in the middle of the HIV epidemic in London. And... um, I was wandering the halls of the teaching hospitals of London, Guys and Tommies, Hammersmith, etc., meeting these physicians who were treating these patients who were dying of AIDS, HIV. And um, I was um, selling a, a product, uh, itraconazole, for the treatment of um, fungal infection. And at, at that point, I realized that you know, I could have an effect on patient outcomes because once the doctors knew about the the product I was selling and how it could help treat a fungal infection, you know, that patient could be treated differently. And so for me, when I was a sales rep, it really reinforced why I was in this journey, and that was to have an impact on patients. And so I spent most of my career from then on the commercial side of the business. I, I moved 
to the US um, in the early 2000s for a couple of years and ended up staying, well, nearly 20 now, because I loved the global nature of the pharmaceutical business. And so really, um, I've had a, a really interesting career from the UK to the US and now internationally on the commercial side of our business and have loved every day of my role here and now really enjoy thinking about um, how we can impact patients' lives and patient outcomes through our medicines. But also now that I'm in a more senior position, working with policy and policymakers, how we can ensure that we continue to um, allow access to medicines for patients. So yes, it's been a wonderful journey and I still enjoy every day. (laughs) Well, that's the most important thing, isn't it? You're coming to work feeling challenged and helping patients ultimately improve their outcomes. So to really dig into the data for improving patient outcomes. Now, one thing that that was noted during the pandemic was that we need greater cohesion and unity across healthcare systems when it comes to this topic. To what extent does data standardisation provide an opportunity to create that vital alignment that we're, we're looking for? No, absolutely. So, you know, data in the pharmaceutical industry certainly isn't a new concept, is it? Um, We've been collecting data through clinical trials and real world evidence collection, plus, you know, electronic health records have been around for 25 plus years. But I think in the last two years with the COVID-19 pandemic, we've really understood how disconnected our data systems are and how there is really a renewed sense of urgency to ensure that we do have data systems that talk to each other, particularly within the EU, where it was very difficult um, for the first six to nine months of the pandemic to really understand in real time how the pandemic was evolving. If we just take a step back for a second, you know, if we look at healthcare data generally, it makes up about 30% of the world's stored data. So it's an incredibly large part of, of data storage and data understanding. And so when we think about how it's stored um, on hospital systems, in health records, etc., it's very, very fragmented and it's largely incompatible. And if we think about the EU as a whole um, with our member states, they all have their own different electronic healthcare record systems of varying quality. And so the need to standardize has always been there, but really accelerated in the last two years. And so what was nice to see in 2020 was that the European Commission actually launched a focus on this, and it's called the European Health Data Space. And it has the ambition to really align data systems across the EU with a focus on better outcomes for patients, empowering patients to create uh, new ways of communicating for them between um, healthcare professionals and themselves. But also, really importantly, allowing data exchange across the full continuum of care, right from the development of medicines through to the treatment. And so... If the electronic on European health data space comes into effect and it's going to be piloted and discussed over the next sort of three to four years, it really will make a huge difference, hopefully to patient outcomes, but really to the overall patient journey, um, health research, health policy making, because we will have the ability to look at data and make decisions based on real world evidence. And it will really I think, make a huge um, impact on patient outcomes across Europe. 
it sounds as though it'd be a, a, a huge step up. I mean, you talked about kind of timelines there in terms of potentially seeing it come into some kind of action in the next three or four years. I mean, when do you imagine the industry might see the benefit of that? Because presumably there's there's a lag there. There is a lag. Um, but, you know, the, the European um, Federation of Pharmaceutical Industries, or FPEA, is really focused on working with the European Commission to ensure that the pharmaceutical industry plays the role it needs to play in um, in bringing this to reality. And we are um, all absolutely focused on ensuring that this is successful. Now, there are going to be challenges. There's obviously, um, when you put everybody's data in one system, there's lots and lots of things that need to be thought through, not least sort of privacy protection, Europe has very strong privacy protection laws under the GDPR or the General Data Protection Regulation, as well as sort of data infrastructure, who has access to it, who doesn't, um, what sort of access do people have. So there's all sorts of problems or maybe opportunities that need to be solved. But I think the pharmaceutical industry plays a big role in that. And we need to work with government, obviously the European Commission, to ensure that it's successful. And we're actually really looking forward to um, playing our role in seeing this come to fruition. No, it sounds like an extremely exciting time and, and getting that right, clearly the, the opportunity, whether it's for the industry or for the patient is is clearly um, huge. Um, you, you touched a little bit earlier on about real world evidence. And I guess there's a a building appetite for it to play a greater role in clinical trial designs. What will need to change in terms of industry mindset to make that a reality? Yeah, I mean, real world evidence, again, has been around for a relatively long time. Um, but a recent EMA publication that looked at this in a more sort of clinical way, <laughs> using the word loosely, um, realized that it was actually included in about um, a third of the um, applications for drug approval in, in the EU. So real world evidence is really part of our new um, development journey. And so the ability to generate data with patients as they use our products in real time is becoming increasingly more important. And obviously, over time, as patients take our products, the longitudinal impact of drugs evolves. And so you can imagine a patient with cancer, a patient with a chronic immune disease. Um, over time, the efficacy evolves, the safety evolves. And so real world evidence and capturing that data evolution is, is a really important part of our understanding of that medicine. And at the beginning, when you're looking to get a, a medicine approved, um, you know, real world evidence can really help governments and reimbursement bodies and payers understand better the impact that it might have on the healthcare system. And so what we call you know, the HTA or the health technology assessment, which is what people use to assess you know, that the price they will pay for your product, is really sort of built on the foundation of understanding real world evidence. And so as we sort of continue to evolve down that path, I think those payer decisions will become more um, more impactful as they see the value of the medicines on their healthcare system. And so again, as pharma leaders, um, we need to continue to advocate for the use of real world evidence and really help regulators understand how to use it, where to use it, the value of it, 
um, the objectivity, how it was collected. There's also, you know, nuances to real world evidence data collection, because obviously it's not under the auspices of a clinical trial. So there are sort of pluses and minuses of the data collection, etc. But for me, it's all part of the overall data journey of a medicine into a population. And it's really important, again, that pharma evolves quickly to ensure that we are generating the data that's needed to ensure that our medicines do get to the right patients and that those patients have access to that medicine and that the reimbursement authorities are willing to pay for it. Mm, of course. Um, and to circle back round, I mean, presumably a European health data space could support exactly. a unified approach to HTA submissions. Exactly. And and there's a real focus on HTA unification right now um, through the European Commission. In fact, there are a couple of, of pilot projects ongoing. And so I think that that sort of data unification around HTA submissions will be one of the first parts of the European health data space focus to ensure that we really can understand, again, more holistically, but also objectively and in a way that's similar um, across drugs, the impact of that drug on patient populations. So I am excited about the HTA approach to data generation and, and really ensuring that we continue to make that data generation specific, but also really objective. Mm. Oh, absolutely fascinating. And moving the conversation on a little bit, um, data also has uh, an important role to play in the adoption of personalised therapies like CAR-T. How can pharma harness this data in a way that will encourage greater adoption of these therapies by governments? Well, it really comes back to actually what we were just saying around the HTA regulation, because, you know, um, in BMS, we've actually launched um, two CAR-Ts globally in the last year. So I've had quite a lot of um, understanding of, of what it takes to get a CAR-T therapy approved, but then more importantly, reimbursed within different country healthcare systems. And so as CAR-T specifically is a very personalized medicine, but there are obviously many others on the market now, but also coming in the future, um, this current focus on harmonizing data for the assessment of personalized medicine is really, really important um, because there are much, many fewer patients involved in the clinical trials. Um, and therefore, there's a real need to ensure that the data that we generate is captured in a way that allows us to understand how this could work across larger populations of patients. And so there's a real focus on the data that we generate through these CAR-T therapies and other very specific personalized medicines, how we collect that data, how that medicine is then assessed over time, longitudinally, again, as I was mentioning before. Um, we have a commitment post-approval on all of these products to continue to generate data back to the authorities. But again, once they're then in a more cohesive system, it should be a much easier, let's just say we've only got reimbursement in Germany, which is normally the case, it should then be much easier for the Spanish authorities or the Italian authorities or the European Commission as a whole to look at the data generated from Germany and make decisions about their national healthcare reimbursement based on that data. So again, the ability to look, the ability to collect, the ability to harmonize continues to be important. And I think, you know, pharma continues to play a role in that and also continues to play a role in thinking about evolution of how payers pay for our medicines, um, if I can say it that way. So, for example, you know, how do we think about paying for medicines maybe in a risk sharing agreement 
um, so that if it doesn't work on a certain patient, that the governments or the payers don't pay um, as they would do normally. So again, the pharmaceutical industry is evolving, thinking through different ways to ensure that the medicines we produce are having an impact, but also being paid for appropriately. And I think it's sort of on, on both sides to continue to evolve and ensure that, again, bottom line is that patients who are ill and who are sick and who are sometimes very morbidly ill get access to the right medicine at the right time. Yeah, it's hugely important. And really from the sense I get from talking to you today is this, this, this great potential there in, in so many different ways. Yeah, exactly. And I think, you know, what the COVID pandemic did for us was to really accelerate the digitalization of, of many things, including <laughs> communication, but also um, the very real need for that global data. And it's been sort of put into sharp focus. And so I think there's a renewed energy. I sense that people are really trying to to move things forward now to ensure that in the future, you know, um, when we will have another pandemic, that the data systems are in place then to monitor, to alert, et cetera, in a more cohesive way that will then impact the uh, patients' lives. Mm, definitely. And we've obviously spoken a lot about data and this, you know, potentially really positive effect. But but obviously to get to that point, you need the data transformation. And, and, you know, we've been talking about how that's been taking place across the industry. But in terms of people using systems and data, what areas do you think will need the most attention in terms of upskilling of staff? And, and how can you help to ensure that teams aren't alienated, I guess? No, it's been a real journey. Um, you know, in terms of the commercial side of our business, what we've seen in the last sort of couple of years is the need now for people to feel really confident um, delivering messages and delivering communications digitally. And so we've been upskilling our sort of customer facing teams on their um, basic digital and data understanding tools using data over, you know, digital channels and, and how we do that. But, you know, behind the scenes in terms of the clinical trials and the data that we generate that we then communicate to our customers, we're really looking at a whole evolution in how we build a new data culture from the principles that we apply to data. So we apply what they call a FAIR principle, which is uh, findable, accessible, interoperable, and reusable. So any data that we generate has to sort of be within that data sharing uh, principle. And then in terms of the people, et cetera, we are really looking to ensure that that skill set, that technical ability is really um, part now of our recruitment, our upskilling. And, you know, we're seeing much more need around um, data analytics in, in all different areas that we've never seen data analytics used before. And so it's really been, I think, a flavor of the last few years accelerated through the pandemic, but it was it was happening anyway. Um, and so our talent journey is evolving, um, the types of people, the types of skill sets, but definitely data acumen, <laughs> the ability to uh, work within a data rich world, certainly within the pharmaceutical industry is becoming more and more important. Um, and then as we work again with other companies to do that, we're also evolving our partnerships with other pharmaceutical companies because, again, we were siloed for many, many years. And so as we evolve our data focus internally, we're also 
reaching out to other pharmaceutical companies to ensure that we're all driving forward. And so just as an example of that, um, Bristol Myers Squibb was a founding sponsor of a new company. It's a nonprofit. It's called Accumulus Synergy. And it was founded by 10 leading biopharmaceutical companies. And what it does is it allows a real-time collaboration, data exchange, data-driven submissions. Um, so again, you know, internally, we're focusing on talent. Externally, we're focusing on partnering with each other, but also partnering with government. Um, another example maybe of partnering with government is that BMS in the UK has partnered with the UK Biobank, um, which is, again, a nonprofit that is collecting genetic sequencing the vision is up to 500,000 patients. And so again, imagine the impact of having the genetic sequence of over 500,000 patients in a biobank and the impact of that on producing new genetic markers, producing new metabolic markers, et cetera, on the development of drugs. So it's not only our internal people, it's our external partnerships. It's our, again, working with government to really try and ensure that we are you know, becoming part of the data healthcare ecosystem. Very, very interesting and, and, and really great to find out more about, yeah, how, well, I said, you, you put it perfectly, the kind of the ecosystem and how, how it all comes together and how yourself and, and the team at BMS can help move that forward. No, it's, it's certainly been an exciting journey and one that continues to um, evolve. And I think in the next coming years, we'll see that acceleration. But, you know, really looking forward, particularly in Europe, to see the fruition of our focus on healthcare data, because ultimately we can only all benefit. We're all patients at some point in our in our lives, um, and certainly we have loved ones that are. And so I think we can all benefit from the joined up data that is the vision of the European Commission. Yeah, couldn't agree more. And certainly in my experience of uh, being a patient, it's uh, not always that joined up. No, it definitely <laughs> isn't. <laughs> Um, yes. So um, final question from me, really, or, or kind of subject area. So the past year in pharma has certainly been a, an extraordinary one. But would you be able to pick out a, a standout moment for both the industry and, and for yourself personally? I think for the industry, and again, it, it was um, BMS, but also other companies, you know, the advent of CAR-T and personalised medicine has been a real highlight of the last year. Um, you know, the ability now to take a patient's blood out of their body, genetically modify, and then inject it back and have that patient's cancer going to remission at a rate that's never been seen before. It's just, I think, you know, it's magical. I mean, obviously it's not, it's science driven, but it's it has such a profound effect on on those patients. It's really been an amazing journey and you know we've also at BMS just opened a brand new facility to produce CAR-T and that's in Leiden in the Netherlands so for me that was a great point in um, 2021 where we had the groundbreaking there and we could start to see the evolution of of you know CAR-T therapy and cell therapy in Europe and obviously adding to the economy in the Netherlands so that was really exciting. No, definitely. And a really good kind of case study there to end today's conversation on. So um, unfortunately, that's all we have time for this week. But thank you, Catherine, for joining us um, for today's episode. It's been an absolute pleasure to have you on. Well, thank you for having me, Mark. It's been a pleasure chatting and look forward to um, maybe keeping you informed on how we're doing. 
And that's it for this week. A big thank you to Catherine once again for joining us on this episode and for sharing her insights into the changing data space in Europe. And thank you to our audience for listening. And do remember to subscribe if you haven't done so already. We have new episodes out every Tuesday. But in the meantime, why not check out the brilliant articles, interviews and more in our sister publication, Gold Magazine. We've just published our latest issue featuring a cautionary tale of innovation in pharma, an interview with Tamika Jean-Baptiste, Vice President and Chief Diversity Officer at Amgen, and plenty more. It's available at www.emg-gold.com. So take care and goodbye for now.